Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Localization uh, Fireside Chat podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Robin Ayub. For those of you who don't know me, you can find out a little bit more information about me on LinkedIn, and I look forward to getting to know you. And I'm the founder of this platform. And I, uh, for those um, uh, who are interested in becoming part of the platform, I highly encourage you to engage with me by liking, sharing, commenting on, 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 this, on, on these episodes. And check us out. We are available on YouTube and the various podcast uh, channels. And we have an announcement to make today. We just added a TikTok um, uh, portion of the channel, meaning that we have now short videos that we grab from various interviews that we do with our audience, uh, with our guests. And then we put them on uh, TikTok for you, for you, for you, who those who are uh, like to enjoy uh, short videos on TikTok. So that's uh, I, that's a you know a, a platform that is um, available to everybody now, and everybody likes to use TikTok. So we thought to add another channel, but we're available on Apple Cast, we're available on Spotify, and a variety of other download uh, your favorite downloading um, channels of podcast. Today, I'm happy and honored to have with me my guest uh, Paula McGrath. She's the Managing Director of International Achievers Group. And Paula normally sits in Ireland and I'm in Toronto, but today she is in Boston and she is my guest. And today's topic, we're gonna to be covering the, um, uh, the uh, hiring and recruiting on a global scale uh, in a global environment. In today's environment and the variety of items that goes into that remote working, um, uh, temporary recruiting, long-term recruiting, executive recruiting, a variety of topics that we're gonna dive into today. Uh, with Paula, and I'm happy and honored to have her with me. As we say on this channel, and it's uh, very valid after so many interviews I've done so far, everybody in our industry has a story, and an in intriguing story. You know, I've presented my story a million times. I'm the guy who got into the industry because I got onto the, um, a flight from one place to another, sitting beside me, somebody who I, two hours later, convinced me to come in work in this industry that was 21 years ago, but uh, uh, fascinating, and 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 you can look up my story in in previous in previous episodes. But now Paula has an interesting story. I was reading her bio; it's pretty intriguing. And Paula, would you mind sharing with the audience first? Do a little bit of an introduction about yourself, and tell us how did you? What's your story? How did you get into the industry? And welcome to the show, by the way. Thank you, Robin. Thank you very much. My background, I started out my professional working life working in firms of accountants. As everybody can tell from this accent, I'm Irish through and through, uh, born and bred there. I did spend eight years of my professional working life in the UK, but most of my working life I am based in Ireland. But the starting part of my professional working life was in firms of accountants where I qualified as a tax accountant and went all the way through and ended up being a tax partner designate in a firm of accountants actually based in the UK. I came back from the UK um, after sort of seven or eight years. I wanted to come back and settle at home. It's actually funny when I look back now at the time when I was only in my 30s and I looked at my parents who were fit and healthy and hearty 60-year-old people or mid 60 year olds I actually thought they were starting to be elderly I thought I better go home and be one of my the dutiful children um, but I also loved living in Ireland it offers a very very nice lifestyle so went home and at that stage also had a change of career stepped out of firms of accountants and I set up a, a recruitment agency 
with somebody, another another guy. We were joint business owners and joint CEOs. I learned an awful lot from that experience, I can tell you. Mm-hmm. And um, we were very, very lucky. We worked very hard. That really was the right combination of skills and experience and personalities, even though there was a fair amount of headbutting that went on because it was too strong headed individuals, but it worked very, very well for both of us because both of us realized that you have to step back in an argument from time to time where nothing gets done. Um, and then I have been in recruitment ever since. So I have actually been in recruitment. I've, I've actually bought agencies. I've sold agencies, recruitment agencies. I've um, been personally involved in raising uh, finance for my own business. I have been part of advisory teams helping others to raise finance for their businesses. Um, and I ended up... So I have actually now been in recruitment longer than I was than I worked in firms of accountants, quite a bit longer now, um, and I love it. I actually I do. I love what I do. It, I've ended up staying in professional services, so it wasn't a huge change. Other than um, the when you're working in recruitment agencies, our client is dealing with individuals, and our candidates again are obviously individuals, and both parties have got to be treated properly, fairly, with respect, with dignity. And at the same time, it has to be approached in a very commercial way because if I don't make a profit, I can't pay my bills and I they still have to be paid. So um, I ended up coming into localization again. I had a lucky break because it, where I was, I met a man in Ireland who had been involved in the, local, in the recruitment on a consultancy basis in the localization industry for many, many years. And I happened to meet him. We had a cup of coffee. He was looking to come into a recruitment agency and we had a cup of coffee and he started telling me that he was a localization recruiter. I honestly had to ask him. And even though I had had so many years of exposure to so many different business models and I'm actually, um, I enjoy business modeling myself. I enjoy that side of things. But I actually had to ask him to explain what exactly is localization. And then I went away and did my research and I set up International Achievers Group on the back of that. And then we started out and we had a relationship with clients. And that, of course, once you get started and you have a relationship and, you know, things just start to roll from there. So that's it. You know, on the professional side of it, I've had a, a few different careers, enjoyed them all. The one I'm in now probably suits me best. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you reminded me when you said what is localization I remember my first day on the job and sorry to reminisce for a couple of seconds here uh, yeah. first day on the job and I'm not familiar with the industry at all I'm a technologist by background I, I said okay so translation what is that I'm thinking in my head IP address translation and uh, said no we take a word from one language we put it into another language now you go sell that and that was the extent of my pretty much high level, I want to say one million foot training <clears throat> into, into the in, in, in induction, to be honest, in, in, into the industry. I'm talking like 21 years ago. Today, mm-hmm. things are a lot more extensive in terms of how you train somebody who's coming to the industry. But it was pretty much, you know, yeah, we take content from one language, put it into another language. You know, you go figure out the rest of it. So because we, 21 years ago, the industry was not as evolved as it is right now. And, you know, I want to ask you a question because I saw somewhere um, on your profile or in your bio, uh, the merger and acquisition part of your business. Yeah. 
And, and you know, although the topic today is a um, is recruiting, tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, just we'll give it a little bit of a, uh, you know, quick light, I guess, on, on that topic on your side. Delighted to do that. Um, in addition to doing recruiting, uh, we also, the International Achievers Group also gets involved with mergers and acquisitions. And that comes about because when we are speaking with business owners, business leaders, in order to recruit successfully, you end up getting a very strong understanding of the business model, what the, the goals and aims are of the owner, things like that. Mm -hmm. So because of my previous training, when I worked in firms of accountants for all those years, I used to be part of teams that uh, were involved in proper due diligence, tax advisory, proper planning, the lead up time for both buy and sell side. So I am 100% comfortable in having those conversations. And I uh, discovered that some business owners were very happy for both buy and sell side to have those conversations with me. Now, it's a very, very interesting part of the industry that truthfully, I'm all, I also own, I have other recruitment agencies as well, but this International Achievers Group is actually purely around the, the localization and translation sector. Mm -hmm. But um, the interesting thing about, you know, when a buyer or a seller, well, honestly, more often than not, the seller is talking to me, there is regularly a lead time, a proper planning lead time needed to maximize a sale price. So coaching around that is key. I actually love that side of the business. Um, but also managing everybody's expectations is number one, because if people's expectations are not managed, it becomes very distressing for the person trying to sell. And also sometimes the reason people are, need, are trying to sell, it's not always for happy circumstance. It's not always because a person is um, ready to retire. There might be other uh, factors that are, that are actually forcing the issue. So proper planning around, you know, preparing for a sale is key absolutely key and then when it comes to dealing with the buy side obviously again managing expectations this phrase you'll hear me using quite a lot and um, again is so important because when people well sorry it depends on if an individual is used to work to working in buying and selling organizations it's actually a much it can be a much easier conversation but if you have a buyer who would, is not a sophisticated buyer and that is not referring to the individual's level of personal sophistication, I'm talking about their, their experience in the business world. Um, sometimes the expectations are unrealistic and a lot of the buyers are depending on funders. Now, in my organization, I actually partner with Private Equity House to help if needed funders or to help even if sellers to sort of roll up organizations. There's all sorts of, I won't get too technical about all this, but um, so, it's a huge, it is a large part of this industry, particularly within the one to 10 million turnover space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then you have to obviously then, we, what we do is we obviously segment it by turnover location industry on both the buy and the sell side. And then the main job, that part is all very easy to do because that's the mm -hmm. only thing that you can put onto a spreadsheet. But the hardest part then, is managing expectations on both buy and sell side and proper coaching and training on both buy and sell side. Mm -hmm. Is that the, does that address your question? Yeah, it does. Uh, and thanks for clarifying that. But uh, generates for me another question. 
okay. since you manage both the recruiting side and the uh, and you have another practice on the M and A side, have you seen uh, scenarios or incidents or however you want to call them cases where the failure to hire uh, or to recruit uh, good talent that led to the M and A discussion? Have I seen that? Not in. I'm just running an example. Let's say I am no, an no. entrepreneur. I own a company, five, ten million dollars. Mm. You know, ready to retire. I, you know, maybe I need somebody to handle the company. Not fully ready to retire yet, but I just yeah. want to have, create some space. Ready to retire, but maybe in five years or ten years down the road, I just want to slow it down a little bit. And I can't find somebody to exactly what I need, exactly what fits the bill. So now I start talking about selling the company. Sorry, yeah. I Sorry, yes, I understand your question and you, the detail of that question now. <clears throat> um, yeah, that actually can be an outright nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And this is where um, detailed proper planning, detailed proper monitoring, detailed proper accountability and review discussions um, are held by the existing owner mm-hmm. and swift action on non-deliverables are acted upon. And I am not trying to appear overly clinical about this because the person that may not be delivering what's needed is still a human being who still has to go home to their family at night. Mm-hmm. However, the CEO and the current owner has both a legal and moral responsibility to all stakeholders within the business. So if if um, underperformance is not act or the wrong direction performance is not acted on quickly enough, you're actually, you know, existing owners are reneging on their both legal and moral responsibility to other stakeholders. Apart from themselves, they themselves might actually be the largest stakeholder. They may be the largest shareholder. They may be the only shareholder, mm-hmm. but uh, they most likely have other staff members and the whole thing can end up backfiring very, very badly. So higher the right fit person is an absolute must it's an absolute right. must absolutely if you're if you have a plan to sell in three in two three four or five years time it also might end up being sometimes what i see in the, in those type of setups is where you're actually trying to buy in the team for the mbo for the management buyout i've seen that happen too and i've and that can work again but it is heavily dependent on being properly managed professionally managed and professionally monitored mm-hmm. and sometimes particularly if people are reaching the stage where they're looking to exit they may start to take their eye off the ball and yeah. it's really key you don't take your eye off the ball 12 yeah. months too soon because you want to have a ball to sell at the end of it all. Absolutely. So, you know, in, in my understanding is hire correctly, A, and B, manage correctly. And, and if those two are in place, you should have a successful story to tell. Yeah. If those yeah. two are not in place, then it creates frustration and everybody go home not happy at the end of the day. Which, okay. you know, fundamentally, this is the world and how, this, how the world runs. Nobody, it's not a charity organization. At the end of the day, it's a business. And business required to meet certain KPIs to continue sustainability and a prosper, prosperity, I guess, in, in, in this case. And, you know, having somebody who owned a company for 20, 30 years, they create a lot of emotional attachment to what they created. It becomes their one of their own. It's like their family, their baby. And to, 
you know, to create that, you know, to replace them basically by hiring somebody to be their ears and eyes in the, in the business. You know, it's, it's a very careful recruiting process. Um, it's it, not just about the talent at that point, it's the chemistry. I'm assuming you have to create that chemistry between whoever is in charge and the new person that's going to be in charge because they're going to stay connected to a large to, to a large extent in the future. So, yeah, now, I agree. sorry, moving away from from this particular topic, I just want to ask you: <clears throat> Can you give us your view on where we are right now in the in in you know the economy in Europe and the economy in North America? Pretty much similar. You've got interest rate going up. You've got you know people are you know raising you know i want to call them not red flags yet they're raising yellow flags at this point uh where is the recruitment um, you know status of the industry where where are we are we do we have demand demand has slowed down uh what kind of demand is out there our what we see our most current demand is an ongoing funnily enough regardless of the state of the economy is around sales business development revenue generating roles there is always a demand for those roles in both europe and the us and and we've also in the past done some work in asia um now obviously the salary levels fluctuate up and down depending on the state of an economy and the split between fixed salary and and contingent related income so commission or bonuses fluctuates depending on the state of economies. What I what we have seen in the last year or two is is following on from the famous from the discussion around the famous AI is people I think are trying to decide a split between people hired with the more traditional background and experience and then going out and looking for people with the the the, the newer um, skill sets. So, and that can delay a recruitment process. So we start off having a conversation with an organization who are saying, you know, we want um, engineering staff with a particular background and then four weeks into the process. So we, off we go, and we're looking at a combination of our database and we do a lot of, we do a fair bit of headhunting and um, we obviously never headhunt from organizations that we work with. We've never done that, never will, but we do a lot of resourcing using the digital platforms. That's the standard way nowadays. Um, everybody gets screened and interviewed. And then we could be for four weeks in and next thing we get a call saying, okay, we do actually, you know, what well, we've just decided our, you know, our technical director has just come back from Gala, our technical director has just come back from Almo and we're going to hold off going that way. We're in fact, instead, give us four weeks, we'll be back to you. We're going to redraft the job specifications. So the whole thing around the engineering jobs at the moment is a little, we're experiencing a little bit in flux, but you're probably the same yourself. Um, sales roles are always in demand. demand. Um, and then project, uh, project support roles and project planning roles are pretty much always in demand. And they're sort of the more lower salary type roles. Mm-hmm. Um, in, so the, the obviously what we saw last, we experienced a bit of a slowdown last year. It's picked up again this year for us. Um, and I think it was around, of course, the, the, the fall off for roles in the digital industry caused a slowdown mm-hmm. with clients that we were dealing with. So, of course, then they were trying to identify which roles they wanted and then from time to time, we get approached, but this has always happened. So I've, I've been in recruitment for many, many, many years. And the change in, the, the change in um, requirement based on trends, 
then and then people end up getting um, replaced, you know, so then a different skill set comes on board. I think I've gone slightly off topic there, Robin, forgive me, but I think the regular requests are always sales revenue generating um, engineering, but that's fluctuating a little at the moment with the skill sets needed and the education needed. One of the uh, um, the um, uh, articles that I uh, shared last week, it was around, uh, it was written by, I think, Harvard Business Review. Yeah. And it was around prompt engineering. It's hot. Everybody wants that. And they're paying quite a bit. I mean, the salary is around 300K US. Yeah. I don't know the exact number, but. <clears throat> and the article says, you know, the technology is moving so fast. Yeah. But if you hire a prompt engineer now and you accept the job as a prompt engineer, you know, what's the long-term projection for this particular job? <laughs> Nobody knows in terms of <clears throat> how long is that going to stick around? Maybe technology in six months becomes something completely different. And uh, prompt engineer in a job description itself may be changing or could take a different you know, aspect altogether. So, you know, back to your point, yeah. people change what they're looking for and what they want. And, and I'm assuming, and I don't know for sure, in your world, um, when, you know, we talk about sales and revenue generation all the time, I think one of the uh, key aspects of our industry altogether is that sales and marketing. You know, we're good at what we do from translation, project management, handling content, building and things around it. But, you know, for since my first local world conference that I attended in 2006 to now, I think it was 2006 when I was hosted in Montreal, I kind of formulated the idea in my mind that the localization industry globally, either A, they don't invest enough in sales, or uh, they're not, you know, they have this idea in their mind that I do good work, so customers should come to me versus me going to them and try to ask them to come to me and do business with me. Mm. And, but this is has shifting now, and primarily, in my opinion, and that's my humble opinion, I hope I don't get criticized for this, uh, it's, it's shifting because there is a lot of investment money coming to the industry from PE firms, and mm. PE firms, private equity firms, wants to, you know, as every private equity firm wants to grow, develop, and sell uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, and the only way you can grow is by going to the market and bringing customers in and that's your sales team mm -hmm. of course you know when the economy is down you want to hire invest more in sales and try to get that revenue in and when the times are good uh that mean it, you know revenue flows everybody i guess at the end, at the end of the day <laughs> in, in our industry so just let me ask you the question now in our industry right now in the localization industry if somebody's listening to us and they happen to be a senior or Mid, mid management or anybody in our industry really who works in our industry. They're probably, maybe they're not happy with their job or maybe they're looking for something else, uh, something a little bit more interesting. What is your recommendation for those individuals? Like what are they, what is the step that you describe to them? Here's what you should do first and here's what you ought to perhaps consider in the future. I, uh, yeah, that's actually an interesting topic. Actually, sorry, I'm just going to bring you back a little. I actually read the very same article, by the way, from the Harvard Business yes. Review, found it very interesting. Mm -hmm. And just, if you don't mind me just addressing that just for one second, is that maybe the way to look at that if you're an employer so that you don't find yourself, you know, committed 
to a skill set that you actually, as it turns out, might not need in 12 months time is to maybe look at, you know, looking at contract roles for 12 months at a time to address the current need knowing. And then the, so that everybody getting involved in the recruitment process knows that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, and it's, it's maybe a way of controlling a situation, but sorry, back to your question. Um, the, I come across this situation actually more often than you might believe. And, and it could be because I'm sort of the owner of the business and maybe a little more mature in my age and have been around the block a little bit. And I am, we genuinely do work towards a very decent life in our business world, because although I do repeat this message, we have to make enough money to do, you know, to pay the way. We're all, everybody, we're all dealing with humans. And when anybody who comes to us as a candidate, most times they're coming to us with vulnerable information at a vulnerable time in their life. They may not have chosen the situation. So just be decent. That individual is going home that night to somebody or even if they're going home with their own. So anyway, yes, I do get approached by a number of people saying, I don't know what to do next. I actually don't like this company, don't like this job, don't like this industry, don't like whatever they don't like. Or my hand has been forced, I'm now out. And I think the number one thing exercise that's worth undertaking is to look at um, rather than automatically going and doing exactly the same that you have been doing for the last 10 years, five years, whatever length of time, maybe 20 years. And the unfortunate thing, if you're in something for 20 years, it can be a little difficult to make a change. But to look at, to do a critical assessment of, are you sure this is what you want to do next? Because everybody has responsibility. If you join a new company in a new role, you're going to get paid a salary at the end of every fortnight or every month. So are you comfortable you're going to deliver to the to the best standard. Are you comfortable that you're going to be able to do that? Because if you are changed, you're sitting there and you don't like what you do, and you then think, oh, I went and worked for company Y. I'm company, I'm currently working for company X. It's all going to be much better. It's it won't, it may not be much better for you because it may not be the right road for you. It may not be the right environment for you. So the very first exercise I ask people that come to me for this particular conversation is. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Let's do, and I, there's an exercise that I go through. Of course, because I've been doing it for so many years at this stage, I do have a, a steps that I go through and it ends up being identifying by exclusion. So, which means that by excluding a number of issues, because most of us are not able to pinpoint, do you know what I'd really love to do next? And you know what I'd be really great at? It's only by excluding the stuff that we know we're not good at, that we really don't enjoy, that we end up with what's, what we can do. So, um, because the first three months in any new job, in most instances, is actually good fun. You know, it's good fun. You have a new environment. You may, you've probably got a salary bump. You've probably got a commission bump. You probably, you may have, you know, new, better fun, employ, you know, co-workers. You might have a nicer boss. And then you're you're on to four, month four. You still have to deliver your target. <laughs> you still have to. You still actually have to. Uh, whatever your target is, the job has to be done. Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer to that part. And then you end up with if you decide that you're going to stay in the same industry, that's actually the easy part. You know, then that the job is done. Yeah. And if yeah. you decide that you want want a different industry or a different job. I think it's important to address it and get it sorted because otherwise you're just going to bump along and end up in very unsatisfying situations for both employer and employee for years. 
you know, and this is probably something, you know, I, I, you know, as a summary, I think from your um, insightful uh, answer, which thanks for that, by the way. And a lot of people don't know that, and they probably scan through it, and they probably don't give it too much attention. Is that soul searching that you do at the beginning? You know, at the at, you know when you decide that this is not working for you anymore, and you want to mm -hmm. switch or you want to change road here in terms of your employment, <clears throat> and exactly determining what do you want to do, what do you enjoy doing? You know, I ask this question on the on the channel all the time. I've said, what is what what are you passionate about? What are you willing to do? You're passionate so much about something that you're willing to do it for free. What is it? And then if you determine and you say, I want to be a project manager working for a, for a localization firm, they're going to pay you, of course. You're not going to work for me. But, <laughs> but gauging that passion or that comfort level as a person with a job that you're going to be doing day in, day out, that is very, very important. Because if you don't and you're just doing it for the salary, you are going to get frustrated at some point and you got to go repeat the same cycle again. And let me break it to the audience. Yeah, there are some variations between different companies in our industry, but pretty much the same. They are yeah. pretty much the same. Yeah. And yeah, there maybe have a little bit different, you know, HR benefit or they may be paying you a little bit more here and there. But overall, we pretty much all do the same thing and we expect the same pretty much results, you expect some profitability, you expect to serve your customers well, and it doesn't matter if it's small or a large company, it's the same same, same idea. You don't mm -hmm. want to be moving from the hot place to the frying pan or however they say that. So you want to make sure you do it well, prepare yourself. And um, when you're ready, or you're if, if you want to, you know, I'm assuming they can reach out to you, Paula, if they, if they want yeah. to have conversations, et cetera, or your team. So uh, let's let's move on a little bit. I mean, as we mentioned earlier about prompt engineering, obviously the landscape of recruiting is moving, and it's a lot of changes changes in the landscape and in the pieces that they're moving around. Technology investment coming in. I want to grow fast, etc. So, you know, what are uh, the expectations now from employers? Like, say, you know, somebody works been working in the same job for twenty years. They get you know they move on and they get a job somewhere else. What is the primary, you know, if you can list two or three expectations from the employers in the new landscape of hiring and the new landscape of, let's say, new ownership in a company or new management, they want to have a new team, et cetera. So what's the expectations? The funny thing is, I actually, <clears throat> I, I think that there is a split with some of the organizations that we work with in culture. Um, this is a little bit oversimplified to answer your question. So there are some of the organizations we're working with who are actually trying to book the trend and stay ahead of the trend. So their expectations are obviously individuals that come on board with them have to match that style, have to match that culture. And also individuals that are that are flexible, that are going to be willing to take part in upskilling, upgrading when, when if the need arises, um, but then we also, funnily enough, actually have know, some clients who are maybe not moving as quickly and the individuals that they are looking to hire, they're like they're hiring in their own likeness. And that has happened for the last 25, 30 years I've been in this industry. We hire in our likeness. And so the expectation is going to be, so if, I'm in, if I meet with a client 
and the client is actually, you know, very much on top of things, reading the Harvard Business Review, uh, very much on top of things. Um, it's going to be very clear very quickly to me the type of person that's going to fit in there. And it's important that we match your, the, you know, the, high, the company's expectation. So we go and look and screen and interview people that are going to match that. But then two hours later, I could have an interview, I could have a meeting with the client that is not moving and still actually is holding on to a decent profitable business and is still servicing a certain part in the market who's not moving either you know with the technology so the people that we look for for them match that culture and that environment and that expectation so the expectation really matches the culture within the organization that's hiring i don't know that's too vague for you but every organization wants to hire people that are going to make the boss's life easier that they can go home a couple of hours earlier on a Friday. That's standard across, that's across the board. Every organization wants, and some organizations are looking to hire to replace the person that's left. So the expectation on matching that is very difficult, truthfully. Other organizations are a bit more skilled at identifying what's needed around a role and a skills shortage. That truthfully is a little easier to match around expectations because a lot of us have people that work with us who are superstars, absolute superstars. And they retire, they get tired, they get fed up, they pass away, whatever happens, you know, then we then spend too much time sometimes or some organizations spend too much time replacing that person who's gone. Mm -hmm. that, that actually is hard to match. Yeah, yeah. Now, in, in terms of um, hiring alike, uh, it must be a little bit disruptive here. Is that, <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that a good strategy? I mean, do you want same same old, same old in the new hire? Or do you not want to <laughs> have a little bit of fresh new ideas, um, you know, break the mold, if you will, um, change things around in your organization by introducing a new, whatever, however new is defined nowadays, um, uh, what do you think of that idea? I personally prefer the disruptive approach, but I'm very fortunate in the amount of management training that I've had over my life, the professional training I've had over my life. And what I always say to my team that I'm trying to teach them to be managers is be prepared to manage demanding people because I don't want you to be, de to be managing people that aren't bothered, that are the same as you, that it's like a, a what's that phrase that we use, a mirror image. That's not mm -hmm. the exact phrase I'm thinking of. I personally prefer that environment, but I am 100% comfortable to sit in a room and not be the smartest person in the room. I have also come across organizations where the business owner, the business leaders are not that, they're not, they don't think that way. They don't operate that way. And again, to be honest, have very, very successful businesses. Mm -hmm. So I do believe it's the horse for the course. I don't know, is that a familiar term in the States? But yes, you know, you pick, I understood it. <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's important to pick the right horse for the right course. And we've actually, I mean, on again, over the years, I've sat in meetings with clients and with organizations. Mm. And the person sitting opposite me, you know, the client who's the hiring company might actually be saying that, um, and, and this individual might actually be quite um, morose or quiet in their communication style. I want a super, I want somebody who's going to shoot the lights out. Two things. The person who's going to shoot the lights out might actually sit at the interview and think, oh, my God, where's the light? Where's the, the lights being shot out here? This, this is not for me. 
But if that individual then does get across the line and decide, you know, the, the offer is made, the person accepts the job. I really do. It, it, I don't I, I don't. That doesn't always work out brilliantly well. Mo so the individual that hires outside their likeness. I believe it works better if that individual has a lot of management training and is comfortable in managing people not like themselves. But not enough. Sometimes people, business owners have had no technical management tra managing training, mm. and they they what they know how to manage is people like themselves. Mm -hmm. So, without trying to <laughs> not make a committed answer, my experience is it's the right horse for the right course, and recognize what works best in your organization. So, if you are a very, you know, um, an organization that has only ever hired in your likeness, and you decide, oh my God, this is actually now. We need to up the game here. You mm -hmm. you might need to bring somebody in to help you manage the. Yeah, and the, and I think Paula, like the um, the whole thing starts with a strategic planning. So basically, what is your strategy as a company for the next year? What's your five year business plan? Where yeah. do you want to go? And you know, determine. Okay, so here's where I want to go, and the road that I'm going to travel to get there. Those are the individuals that are going to help me get to that objective. If you don't have a five-year plan and you're just hiring to replace somebody because they left, that's a different story. But every business has a five-year business, five year business plan. Every business has objectives and goals and KPI to manage for the future. And in our industry, like any other industry, we're not too different. We think we are, but we're not. On a business, everybody's the same. And because everybody managed by financial statements, everybody's got numbers, everybody's got statistics, Every industry is the same. The products and services that we deliver, those are completely different. But if we don't have a strategic business plan as companies and individuals that guide us to an objective, to a goal, the hiring part that is going to, you know, these um, say I'm going to go win the um, win the um, you know the world championship soccer, right? So I need mm -hmm. to I need to have a team, and I need to handpick that team to get me that championship. I'm not just picking them to go for a game here. That on a Sunday game, that's a different story. We'll go get together over a barbecue for that one. But if I'm trying to win a championship or I'm trying to win a race of some sort, I need my teammates to be top shape. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to win that race. Sorry. I for the no, I 100% agree. And I think you're, you know, that the comment about all companies have um, strategic and operational planning. I don't know that I'd agree with that. And that's <laughs> Some of that is from my previous profession as well as experience in the recruitment industry. But the other thing as well that I have also experienced, even those companies that do have those strategic and operational plan plans in place, um, first of all, they're not always measuring um, targets to actuals, but then a lot of the time they don't tie in the staffing part to tie in with recruitment plans and sometimes both internal recruitment teams and the likes of us external recruiters um it ends up being sort of like a chasing chasing somebody around chasing something around a pitch because mm -hmm. the planning hasn't been put in place now where we've seen it work best is if the recruitment plan is an integral part of the business plan because you're right if you want to if you decide that up today or to date we have chased the pharmaceutical market and now we're going to go into the financial services market um, 
you actually need a different type. You need a different skill set. You need to. So when are you going to hire? Who are you going to hire? What's the budget for it? What are going to be the onboarding plans? What is going to be the retention plan? And that's something that I would also like to have a very quick chat about because onboarding, or sorry, recruiting and hiring is actually an expensive. Talent acquisition is an expensive mm-hmm. for every business, whether they're using internal recruiters or external recruiters. Mm-hmm. And what I see happening sometimes, which is very frustrating for everybody, I would suggest, is the onboarding and retention planning is not addressed. Mm-hmm. So after going to all that time and effort of, you know, and cost um, of a talent, talent acquisition, and you then, it's, I believe it's really valuable time spent and a little bit of money spent if needed to have a proper onboarding system. Correct. And I think that the very, very basic, I have loads and loads of ideas around and ideas experience around this and guide, guiding organizations around it and it does vary from organization to organization what's needed but i think the number one thing that i have seen work from organization to organization for onboarding and the start of a retention plan is a buddy system and yep. it's, really, it's really easy to do so you find if you hire you pair people brand, together just give, give them one buddy so and the person that's in your company is normally honored and yep. sees it as that they've been trusted with this responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's lots of other things that need to happen apart from that. But if you can only do one thing, find get set up a buddy system. And even if it's yeah. just for one month, and then after that, put a retention plan and plan in place for the following, if possible, 12 months. Mm-hmm. That's you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, most candidates, when they find it, when they get into a new job, they want to do well. They want to excel. They want to do like great job. Right. So, you know, helping them achieve success, I guess, what is the trigger to enable them to get that first success, the first taste of success in a new job? And that's kind of, you know, you talked about onboarding because onboarding is a very important step. And you're right. You know, when an, when an employee is being replaced in a company, it, the cost is so high to replace an employee. You've yeah. got a recruiting cost. You got a training cost. You got a low productivity cost at the start. All that yeah. stuff has to be all added up. Yeah. I think the retention discussion, it's very, very interesting. You know, when you move from the onboarding phase to retention, keep them excited, keep them on, on, on board with you now that you've invested time, effort, money into molding them into the resource that you like them to be. You definitely don't want to have that training, leave your company and go somewhere else and sell it to the higher, to the highest bidder. You want them to be mm-hmm. with you for many, many years to come. Am I correct in that assessment? I would agree with you. And one thing that I was taught mm-hmm. about uh, many years ago in management training is if you're an effective manager you'll have very little surprises in your life so if it turns out that you're a manager and your key member of staff comes to you and says i'm out of here bye i'm gone i'm going and they've got two weeks notice or a month's notice depending on part of the world you're in the notice periods vary from two weeks to sometimes three months but if you are that person's manager and that's the biggest surprise for you, you haven't managed effectively. Yeah, you, can't, you so, haven't kept your ears to the ground a lot. <laughs> you also haven't engaged effectively with your team member. Correct. So, yeah. And that's part of retention. That's a massive part of retention. I think it's very easy. And I honestly have been guilty of it myself in the past. And I have to make myself address this issue. Maybe, but some of it is because my own, I obviously own a business and I have to mm-hmm. be profitable, but also my own background. I am, I'm inclined to work from the numbers backwards. But is that when you're doing your review discussions, and I'm calling them review, and even that's probably a little bit too formal with your team members, um, 
it's not all, it's important to not only know well, did you hit your target you know mm. how are you getting how is it going on and how's it getting on with that with that programming how are you getting on with that and it you also obviously staying within the boundaries acceptable boundaries need to know the person's life the person's life what are, are their ambitions being satisfied now mm. the, the truth is oh, from time to time you will not be able to look after everybody's ambition because particularly as people go through any organization the numbers of jobs available at the top become narrower it's just this, the natural structure of an organization however it's important that you know because then if this person is not telling you look this is actually really exciting or this was exciting 12 months ago but now i'm starting to feel a bit bored you can actually help plan their exit and plan the replacement mm -hmm. and that's proper retention planning it's right. but it requires a little bit of training i believe with the managers or the supervisors mm -hmm. at all levels absolutely now um we're coming up to uh, the end of our conversation i'm okay. truly enjoying this conversation to be honest with you i can talk with you like for a couple of hours but uh we only have one hour for this and okay. <clears throat> hopefully uh our, the audience got a few ideas out of our conversation um, just in case if somebody's interested in reaching out to you, how would they get to you? I'll, I'll leave your company link in the description, but um, look you up on LinkedIn. How would you prefer? Yes, please. Well, we obviously have our website, internationalachieversgroup.com. We're on LinkedIn. Myself and my team members are there. Our, uh, you'll, our, our email addresses are available through the website, but again, it's going to be on your infographic your information i'm just having a very quick look is it okay to look at my notes because there's a few things that cross my mind and i mentioned to you before you actually started recording that i'd actually forgotten about because i've been doing this for so long that i think is really really useful because i have to recruit myself thankfully <laughs> from time to time and um some key things sort of came into my mind that i'd honestly forgotten about you know to, but you had to prompt me by inviting me to talk on this which i'm very grateful um and I just want to make sure I haven't forgotten. I Have we covered all the points that you want to cover? I was not even that I think are useful. I mean, I think it's useful to people. And I think yep. the onboarding, the onboarding and retaining was a key thing for me that right. I had actually forgotten about. Um, no, I just wanted to make sure. No, that's me. Done. Sorry. That's okay. Um, look, I mean, uh, you're welcome back to this channel anytime you have a announcement or you want to share a brand new idea or a new practice that you think people should know about. And, uh, you know, the happy news here is our audience is growing uh, currently mm -hmm. around 20,000 views on uh, YouTube. And I'm proud to say that. And we started from scratch and we were able to uh, we're able to see that this thing is growing. So uh, welcome back anytime. It was an honor to have you uh, with me this morning. Any last uh, comments from your side? No, it's just congratulations on your success with the channel. It's a great platform. Um, so, and also one thing that having worked in many different industries, um, both in recruitment and in a previous profession, there are lots of things that apply across the board in business that are not just specific to this industry. So I don't know if that's of any comfort. Absolutely. I mean, the subject that we've covered today, although we talked about it from the context of uh, localization industry, obviously recruiting goes horizontally across many industries. Mm. Talents are talents and uh, definition of talents can be apply to any industry so um if uh, our audience are not ha happen to be not in the localization industry are and are interested in the recruiting discussion please listen to this podcast and please reach out to uh paula at your own convenience by looking her up on linkedin or 
the description in the uh, in the uh, in, in the infographic of this of this particular video. So, thanks again. I really appreciate it, Paula. Honored to have you with me, and I look forward to having this conversation in the future with you uh, again. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robin. Thank you.